If my daughter came up to me and said, Daddy, I feel overwhelmed, I feel less than, I feel insecure, I would just kneel down and go crazy with affection for her. The fact is we don't do that to ourselves, and we have to care for ourselves like we would our children. Welcome to Atomic Moms, a weekly parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our little ones and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and I celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and caregivers all over the world in order to share their unique stories and the universal experience of raising a child. You can find us on our website, AtomicMoms.com, on social media, and also on iTunes. Subscribe so you can get a new episode every week. Hi, everybody. This is Ellie and my husband, Adam. We are in northern Michigan, and we're sitting in the rental car. (laughs) Having a podcast is like having a newborn baby where you're like, why isn't it quiet? Like the, the sensitivity to sound makes you crazy a little bit. I just think that it's funny that when you're younger, you have to sneak out to the parked car to like make out and then now that you have a kid, you have to sneak out to the car to get work done. <laughs> it's so true. Like, how many times have I looked out the window and seen you, like, writing work emails in the oh, driveway? Yeah. Doing phone calls in the car. I get probably more work done in the, sitting in the driveway in the car than anywhere else. But that's just also because Sabrina's going through her I'm obsessed with dad phase. And we're in northern Michigan, which is pretty magical. You guys might have seen on social media the photos of Sabrina walking through the woods. She... We keep finding these little fairy houses. I want to call them fairy huts. Fairy huts. Probably not the technical term. But I don't don't think there is a technical term for weird (laughs) wooden miniature houses that I don't know, artistic slash creepy people build in the it's very true detective. It's it's like fifty one percent beautiful and forty nine percent unnerving. I think it's magical. It is. It's fifty one percent magical. Okay. It's just on the side of magical. Because this is our Father's Day episode, and we're going to be sharing one of my favorite episodes with Tony Hale, an incredible dad and all-around person, uh, I wanted to ask you some Father's Day questions. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest surprise about becoming a father? The biggest surprise about becoming a father was probably, um, I think when it started, I assumed that it would be most intense and time-consuming and... uh, just labor intensive in the beginning. Uh, and it turned out that that's not true. That was mostly on you, uh, breastfeeding and all those sorts of things. And I really didn't have a lot I could do. Uh, I think what I'm most surprised about is how you, you really can't be around her, but not be completely engaged with her. You know, that if I think I always imagine if both of us were around, one of us could be playing with her and the other could be, you know, working or doing something else or cleaning. But it just seems that there is a lot of fear of missing out with a toddler so that if someone isn't present or engaged, she wants to be doing what that person is doing or wants that person to be doing what she is doing more, more likely. When you think of Sabrina, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, Energy. (laughs) She's like a Tasmanian devil. Yeah. Just really from from go, from the moment she goes from dead sleep to 100% awake and 
100% momentum at 100 miles per hour. Just And she's such a goofball. Yesterday I was uh, cooking her dinner, and she's obsessed with ba- Band-Aids these days. And so I had bought her a box of Hello Kitty Band-Aids as a surprise. <laughs> as you know, any good, super fun mom would do, you buy your kids boxes of Band-Aids. Um, but I was cooking dinner, and I look up, and her shirt is off. And she's got a Band-Aid covering each nipple. She's going to be a marathon runner. Is that what they do for chafing? That's, yeah, I mean, I, that's what I've seen guys do that. They... Or like a Hello Kitty stripper. <laughs> yeah, I, a very weird marathon runner, yeah. <gasps> it was just so strange that she would cover that part of her. Uh... Uh, but she just gave this goofy look and she was so happy and it was a joke to her. Like, she did it as a joke. So, by the way, it's now... 15 hours later, she's still wearing them. One of the hardest things to do is to get our daughter to remove Band-Aids that are on her body. In honor of Father's Day, let's talk a little bit about your papa. Our listeners got to know your mom through our episode last week with your sister, Natalie Taylor. Uh, So if you were to describe your father in, you know, four words, three words, two words, what would they be? They would be wrecking ball of fun. That's what (laughs) me and my sisters call my father because he has this habit of, my dad loves physical activity and and fun, and it's really what his life is all about. And uh, But what he will do is he will push the fun and really find the point at which it ceases to become fun. Yeah, you seem really stressed out talking about this. Uh, it's No, it's actually, it's amusing now, but like when we were kids, we would go to a movie and the, it was my dad's metric for fun at seeing a movie was it, you, you didn't have a good time unless you ate so much junk food that you were sick after you saw the movie. A lot, my dad is like a toddler in a lot of ways. He sort of wakes up, ready to go, doesn't fatigue, doesn't tire, uh, does things with his body that make other people very nervous, um, and then at the end of the day just collapses and then wakes up and does it all over <laughs> the next day. Um, uh, and he has a great time, but you know, on any family trip, uh, he'll it's we got to see every battlefield and go to every you know, museum and just constant activity until you just refuse to get out of the car. Now, when he goes to museums, does he immerse himself in the experience or is he like my dad where it's like, we got to, we got to check it off our list. Say we've been there, take a couple pictures in front of it, maybe buy something from the gift shop. Definitely the gift shop. The gift shop is the most important. We did the Louvre in five minutes. So you beat the seven, you even beat the seven minute Louvre. Is there a seven minute Louvre? Well, that's the, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad's ADD. We he definitely the five beat it. Minute. The seven minute was too long. And he's got really long legs. So yeah. he walks super that's fast. That's why he could do it in five. Uh, but that's our family. So do you, does he, like if you go to a battlefield, does he sit there and like. A battlefield he will. Like I remember we went to Culloden in Scotland and there's just an, or Gettysburg. He did the same thing. It's because he'll read about this stuff. Um, uh, extensively. And so then we go and then he sort of can. He'll talk about, you know, the ghosts of the <laughs> of the soldiers or whatever. And, you know, as a, as a teenager or younger, you're just sort of looking at an empty field of grass and sort of like, who cares? Um, but for him, you know, that stuff. But he loves to talk about it and be immersed in it. And, and so that's a big deal for him. And, I, you know, like those are all places where eventually you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore but like does he care if someone doesn't seem like they're interested not really he'll go kind of do it anyway i mean i think and he also knows that that's his rep is is sort of like going to 100 
20% capacity, like where I'm going to fill the cup and then keep pouring the water and just, oh, well, it spilled over. That's just sort of what he does. But like even the museum thing, that was, we, we, did a, we were in Europe for a family trip. And I don't think we would normally go to a museum because it just doesn't have enough physicality to it so like this is after we've like yeah that's so true hiked up head. hiked through ravines and weird canyons and and then one day it was raining so we went to the some museum in vienna and and i mean I, yeah i remember the gift shop most of all but but it was like we even walked to the museum like all the way my my dad does not care about rain no one in my family owns an umbrella like it's so aggravating yeah it's really just yeah it's weird weird <laughs> I just think like it's rain. Who cares? It's just water. But then you get wet. Sort of. If and then you if get sick. No, I don't think that's scientifically true. But it's like if it's pouring rain, then yes, obviously. And you're going somewhere formal. But we don't. I just don't mind rain. I don't mind getting wet a little bit. <laughs> I'll dry. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. Yeah, you're the opposite. I feel like you think it's acid falling from the sky. Well, I'm the Wicked Witch, so it's so dangerous. So you'll melt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Well, I'm going to share our episode now with our listeners. Wait, uh, are there other more questions we can talk about? I like I like doing the Q&A. What, are you worried oh. about the battery going away? <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. I feel like that what was do you? What did you learn from your father I that maybe I should, that I should take? What, what, what tips should I take from your dad? Your dad is also a big embracer of fun. He's a hard charger. He... Walked us halfway up to Everest uh, as <laughs> literally. a family trip, literally, literally, to the Tangboche Monastery, the highest monastery, I think, in the world. Yeah. It was a week of hiking. It was five days of trekking through uh, the Himalayas. Uh, pretty hard, especially if you were, how old was your sister at that point? Like seven. Yeah, she was pretty young, so it was tough. Um, although I will say they got her a donkey to ride, and then within like 10 minutes, she was not riding the donkey, but Ellie was. <laughs> So Ellie rode the donkey, but it was like a really long it was really climb. Intense. And it was like all about how we were going to get to this monastery and then we would get we'd to see, see the, the monks, monks and a whole thing. And we got and there. And we get there and the monastery was closed just like Wally World. Yeah. And the monks and had, what's were left. The, uh, because my dad is Chevy Chase and it's every time it's like a family vacation. Yeah. It, it's your dad is the hardest charger of all, but it also makes for the, you really realize that go big or go home because that's what you're going to remember, you know? And, and that particular one, that's the biggest you possibly could have gone because we walked five days into the Himalayas to this monastery that was closed, spent the night at, I don't even know, 13,000 feet or whatever. And, um, and then woke up the next morning in, in a like ancient Russian helicopter that like barely looked fit to fly. Essentially. I think he was trying to impress you, but it just scared us landed. all. Landed next to the monastery, which is not how anyone else gets back down the mountain. Everyone else just hikes five more days, but, you know, we didn't have five days to hike down, so uh, so Ellie's father, yeah, hired a an old Russian helicopter. It was like a Huey. Like, it was so loud and it, like, thumped in, like, Apocalypse Now, and all these people come, like, running out of the huts that were all staying and are, like, taking photos of this, like, crazy beat-up Russian helicopter that lands. There should be a reality series about my father. With a Russian pilot, you know, and... and no seatbelts. No, you just we just climbed into this totally empty shell of a helicopter and then just, like, 
thumped back down the mountain to Kathmandu. <laughs> but the best part is how my dad always sends these emails with like plane crashes because he's so uh, anxiety riddled and and he loves sort of pointing out all the ways we can die. But then he always like takes me on these adventures where we could die. And then when we don't die, he likes to follow up with articles about how everybody else died doing it. Yeah, it was crazy and felt borderline dangerous at points, but... It, but Nine it, years ago? Yeah, but it was great. It was definitely the, the trip of a lifetime, and um, as a result now, we're, we love to support the American Himalayan Foundation, a uh, little plug, um, which, you know, uh, does a lot of work um, sort of preserving the Tibetan culture in that part of the world, and also, as of late, helping rebuild uh, Nepal after the earthquake, and just really doing a lot for a part of the world that I think doesn't get a lot of attention. Okay, so now we all know why I'm neurotic, because I have an amazing father who <laughs> pushes me to my limits. Uh, today, we are sharing an awesome interview with Tony Hale, and nobody does neurotic better than Tony Hale. You know him as Buster from Arrested Development, and he recently won his second Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actor on the HBO comedy Veep, opposite Julia Louis-Dreyfus. He's one of the best comedic actors out there, uh, and even more importantly, he's a kind man and a really great dad. So we're going to talk about how he's learned to stay in the moment. His children's book is Archibald's Next Big Thing. Um, and anyone who listens to this podcast regularly will understand why I'm so obsessed with this book. Uh, Adam, why don't you go ahead and read the summary? In this extraordinary adventure, an extraordinary newly hatched chicken named Archibald Strutter is looking to find his place in the world while feeling insecure about his abilities, especially when compared to his talented siblings and classmates. Uh I think that this book would actually make a great graduation gift, too. And I've got the link up on AtomicMoms.com uh, because I think this is also a book for people in their 20s and basically all of Los Angeles, which is crammed with people who are always looking for the next big thing. I think that's why most men in L.A. don't marry till they're like 45. Would you agree? Uh, I got married when I was 29, so. I can't yeah, you just knew I was the big thing. Yeah. But don't you think most men in L.A. are like looking for the next big thing? I don't know. I don't like to generalize like that. Well, you're just like going to defend. I'm not defending anyone. I'm saying there's like a lot of great guys in LA who settle down young like you. Um, yeah, or with their first wives, absolutely. <laughs> with their starter wives, yeah. Oh. Kidding. Okay. Tony Hale invited me into his house to record this episode, and what I find most refreshing about the man is that he's so open about his insecurities, unlike my husband. Uh, Not true. I'm very open about. I'm what are your What are your insecurities, honey? That I'm too handsome. So, he's sensitive. Tony is uh, sensitive, <laughs> engaging, and there's no false bravado. Uh, every day he's showing up in his life, just trying to be more present. Uh, and for some of us overthinkers, that's a really big deal. He's on Twitter at Mr. Tony Hale, so feel free to tweet him about how much you loved hearing him on the show. And uh, we're dedicating this Father's Day episode to him. Mr. Tony Hale, we'll be right back. Right, babe? Right. Okay, we're going to get out of the car now. We might asphyxiate. <laughs> the car has to be running for that to happen, but... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we talked so much we could have... This is carbon monoxide poisoning from our own <laughs> exhalations. It's getting warm in here. It is getting warm in here, and I am a little lightheaded. We should go. <laughs> Okay, we'll be right back, everybody. And the Emmy goes to Tony Hale V. This 
This is the second Emmy win and third nomination for Tony Hale, who was so excited when he found out about his nomination, he forgot to take his daughter to camp. This is nuts. I'm so excited our writers just won because they make it possible to do what we do, and I am so thankful. Thank you guys very much. Um, to the other nominees, you guys make me laugh hard. Uh, my family, my wife, Martel, my daughter, Loy, who I love so much, my extended family in Anniston, Alabama, my mom, my dad, my brother, Mike, my sister, Kim, my theater family, Young Actors Theater in Tallahassee, Florida, HBO, Michael Lombardo and Casey, Jonathan Weinstein, Logan Eisenberg, Rob Greenwald, Stephen Levy. I just had to fear my zippers down. Um, I want to thank... Uh, uh, Mitch Hurwitz because he gave me my first job and finally to my Veep family um, not only are these people so good at what they do but they're good people and I'm telling you at the end of the day that's what matters and I'm so grateful to be working with them thank you so 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 much hey guys we are back with Tony Hale in his beautiful dining room with his puppies I know underfoot <laughs> I know I got a I got a two year old Havanese named Walter and we just got a new one who's an Aussie, Aussie doodle named Louise. Well, as a repeat Emmy winner and with like a huge cult following, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on Atomic Moms and speaking to us about your book and My your pleasure. journey. We really appreciate it. I love talking about this stuff. I um, have a silly story to share. <laughs> I'm sorry about the background. I it's love like, it. The it's dogs, like my dogs are in a bullfight. <laughs> Okay. When I found out I was going to have the opportunity to work with you as an actress, I... We did. We just worked we together just worked on together. Alvin and the Chipmunks for Road Chip Kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming out opposite Star Wars. So don't see Star Wars. Because we're going to kill Star Wars. <laughs> we're going to crush we're gonna them. We're going to take them down. We are. And so... When I met Tony, because there's so many comic cons about <laughs> about uh, Alvin, Alvin the Chipmunks. I traveled across the country, and when I met you, I sort of tried to pretend like I was playing it cool, like I was just not a fanboy. I was just like, you know, I just happened to have your children's book with me, would which you mind, I was thrilled would you about. Mind signing it. Try to play it really cool, except this book is 74 pages it's in extra so large. <laughs> hardcover book that I, yeah. it was really clear that I lugged it across the country. Um, Which was really sweet. And it's one of those things we, I love this book. It's, it's, uh, we probably could have cut a few pages out of it. No, 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 no. We do. We, it is, but it's, uh, it was a real act of love. And each page is so special. Like there's little jokes and surprises and the artwork is so beautiful. It's really beautiful. Misty Manley and Victor Huckabee. Well, Victor Huckabee created the character of Archibald and I met him at an LA art show probably five years ago um, and loved his work. And he told me about the character of Archibald who was named after his grandfather. And I was like, oh, I'd love to do a, some kind of story around him. And then we found this production company called Boxing Clever in St. Louis, and they knew Misty Manley. And Misty kind of adapted Victor's style, and they worked together on the on the book. So at the art show, did he have other children's <clears throat> illustrations, or what is his he work? He has a real, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a real kind of abstract, quirky style. And I just love, he had little messages with his work, and I really liked it. And so we became friends. He also works with this organization called Blood, Bloodwater Mission that I started kind of helping out with that. Uh, fights HIV in Africa. And anyways, as we kind of became friends and he was the illustrator for them, for this organization. And as we became friends, he told me about this character and that's how I found out about him. 
And so how long did the process take start to finish? So my story is when I, it kind of, the book kind of came out of a personal experience of, um, when I booked Arrested Development many years ago, um, I went through a period of it didn't satisfy me the way I thought it was going to satisfy. And I say that because all my life, all I ever wanted was a sitcom. And, and that was my big thing. That was like a thing that I really wanted in life. And when I got that big thing, it really, I'd given it so much weight that it didn't, it didn't satisfy me the way I thought it was because the whole time I was like, that big thing's coming, that big thing's coming. And I was never present. I was never um, really looking around being present. I was always looking in the future. And it's that whole lesson, if you're not practicing contentment where you are, you're not going to be content when you get what you want. So yeah, so I got what I, I got that big thing and it, and it really taught me that big lesson of just, wow, I have not been present for most of my life. And when my daughter was born after Arrested Development, the big gift that kids give to you is the, is the whole thing of being present because you have to keep this baby alive. You, that's, you have to be present. And I realized, oh my God, most of my life, I just have not been present. So this whole message I like to talk about because I think in my business, people are always like, oh my gosh, when this happens, when this happens, and it could, mine was a sitcom. It could be someone getting married. It could be somebody having a baby. It could be, everybody's like waiting for that big thing and missing all the stuff that's around them. And so I talk about that a lot because I think people really live in these places rather than being in the now. And I, when I met this friend of mine who did Archibald, I was like, what an interesting story to come up with to uh, match with this character. And so the story is based on this little chicken who gets a card in the mail that says your big thing is here. And he's like, where? And he goes on all these crazy adventures looking for his next big thing. And he goes on this roller coaster ride and all these awesome things, meets this, this whale who does fountain art. And this bee travels around with him and is just annoying him the whole time. But the, in the end, the bee's like, you got to just be, man. You got to just be. And he realizes that the card is right, that your big thing really is here. It's not somewhere else. And at the beginning, what I love about the book, too, is when the main character hatches out of his egg, he goes to school and the teacher asks, like, what's your big thing? Yeah. And his siblings all have their own, like, really special big thing. Yeah. And he doesn't know what his thing is. And yeah. sort of that anxiety of, yeah. like, what makes me special? What separ like, separates yeah. me from the pack? Like, what? And I think a lot of times ki kids, which I think is not a bad, it's not like dreaming and ambition is wrong. I mean, especially for kids because they're big dreamers. But I think our world many times would be like, you'll have value when you get this. You'll have value when you become this. You'll have value. And it's like, no, you have extreme value exactly where you are. It's not about getting that thing or becoming that certain thing. This, uh, when I was reading it, I was almost in tears because it's taken me so long to learn this for myself. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning And it. I... For me, it was when I had, I got a, a tumor in my leg. And so it was like oh a cancer-like tumor. Wow. And so for four months, I was sitting on the couch and I couldn't walk and I couldn't drive and I couldn't be doing the doing yeah, that I'm yeah. so used to. And you're so a big doer. To. I'm a big doer. Yeah. I like to hit the pavement hard. Yeah. And, and I have spent most of my life chasing external validation. Sure. And so when I was sitting on the couch and I couldn't be doing it, mm, so I hard. was like, it was scary. It like, is well, scary. Well, where do I find 
that love or where, how do I prove my worth in the world? Which is like mm. a sad thing to admit. No, it's true. But a lot of us struggle with that. And because our identity is many times based on what we're doing rather than who we are. Right. Exactly. Mm. And so I, to have that four months, that was sort of a time out of like, sure. Oh wait, I'm sitting on the couch. Or when I was in the hospital, like I'm just talking to these nurses and hearing their stories mm. and getting to, relate to people on such a more like human level, I realized like the people don't care that much about the big things. Like if when we're actually able to sort of sit across from each other and connect on these basic levels about like our vulnerabilities and the things that we've gone through, we can, our worth is here right now. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what we're doing. I can sit on the couch and I'm still worthy of love. And you know, it's amazing that it really does take those, like your experience, my experience with the rest of it. And by the way, let me, as a side note, rest of development was the, uh, the writing, the people were so talented. It had nothing to do with the show. It had to do with me Mm -hmm. and what I was bringing to it. But I was just listening to another thing from Nicole Kidman recently. And she, after getting her Oscar, she remembers going into a room and she realized she was the most lonely she's ever felt after getting that or something like that. And it was like, it really take, and that's when she woke up and really started making some internal changes in her life. Because it's I like, thought, is that all there is? Yeah. And it's like this town and I'm, I'm including myself in this. There's just so, and the world is so focused on these big things to satisfy. And it's like, whoa, there's the simpler form of looking around us and what we have and the relationship we have. That's, that's the shit that matters. Mm-hmm. That matter. you, you're on. totally going to say shit. <laughs> um, I, the other thing that I find now with this is that as an actress in LA, like mm-hmm. it's always been a part of the job. Like, oh, how do I look? Or kind of comparing myself to sure, others. Of course, which we all do. Awful stuff, right? Yeah. But now I feel so bad for all of these teenagers growing up just like in the Midwest because with Instagram and with social media and with all these YouTube Mm -hmm. videos of like how to do this and that, I feel like it's not just about the actors in LA trying to look look that way. Like all of these teenagers are trying to be that way too. There were all, all of these people are trying to live these sort of celebrity lives sure. and yeah. outside of LA. And you know, that's, that's another thing I love to talk about is the idea of being known because people look at having had a taste of you, you having this and me having, having a taste of quote, whatever celebrity is the idea of people look at celebrity as the ultimate being known. And I think everybody wants to be known. So people think like, how many, how many followers do I have? How many Facebook friends? How, how, what reality show can I get? Everyone's trying to brand themselves. to, To be known. And the fact is, if you're known by people who love you, that's the most known you need. And actually celebrity can do the opposite. It can make you less known because it can isolate you and you lose trust and it's the opposite of what th- people think it will do. But everybody just wants to be known, you know? Do you find that at restaurants, like especially with, I feel like, your career, there are such diehard fans. Hmm. Like, Does that make you feel more isolated when people come up to you when you're with your family? Or how do you do uh, that? that doesn't, that's never really been... The only thing the challenge is, is I've never really... <laughs> that's, a, a that's, a, that's a dog toy in the back. <laughs> um, this is just like one big theme going on. Sorry about that. Um, so uh, 
when it comes to um let me take that away from it. <laughs> this is so it's so cute though. We'll be right back. I love it. I love it. I love the chaos. It's so it's such a parenting thing too. I mean, every parent with a toddler is like, "Yep, the constant disruption." It's adorable. What was I talking about? Sorry, we were talking about when. So to go back, when you're in a restaurant and someone approaches you and you're with your family, and you said there's only one kind of weird thing about. Yeah, the only thing. I mean, I I, when people come up, I actually I, I don't. I think that's hugely flattering, and I like to. I like to talk about the thing is I don't remember much about uh, the stuff I've done because I've got the crappiest memories. So when people talk about moments, I'm like, "Wow, that is was <laughs> pretty funny," or something. Or that's thank you for reminding me because I forgot about that joke. The thing that is the biggest challenge is me staying present, even if somebody's not noticing me. In the back of your head, you kind of go, "Is there somebody?" You know, you it's, it really takes me my own. It's my challenge to stay present, you know, because it can. It can me- it can mess with your mind a little bit. So I I always choose for people to come to my house because mm-hmm. I'm I feel like I'm a little more uh, focused. It's not like I obviously and it's so gross. It's not like I don't want to be in public because I love I love like parties and restaurants and stuff. But if I really want to have a conversation, if I really want to spend quality time, I typically invite people over to my home. That makes sense. I feel like my husband's a screenwriter and he can never go to a coffee shop to write. Like he always has uh, to be home or, you know, like yeah. where it feels like a comfortable, relaxed space. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've talked about the discipline of contentment. So do you have a daily practice with that? Mm. And how would you describe the dis- your discipline of contentment? So I would say a daily, oh man, it's so funny. I love to talk about it, but it's actually something I'm, I talk about it so much because I suck at it. Um, <laughs> I just wrote about it, a book about like getting over anxiety and I'm like, I still, I really oh, suck yeah. at it. Me too. I mean, and I, and my favorite thing to do is pass out, uh, my therapist notes. Like when uh-huh. I go into therapy and I take notes, I'm like, I you really take notes in therapy. I took, well, I do it by phone. So I, and he knows that I'm doing this, but it's cause there's so many little fantastic nuggets that he says and, right. and we'll take pauses and I'll write down cause I want to be able to come back and remember. So anyway, anyway, since I, don't- cause I don't remember. See, I, okay, I don't remember anything ever. Right. I also have facial amnesia. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Oh, really? I thought so I was you, self-absorbed, but I think I genuinely have. So you, that's interesting. So you, what about people's names? Is it oh, impossible. Impossible. Which is now with but a even daughter faces, in preschool. Forget it. Like even I'm not, faces you have a hard time with. Sometimes, yeah. Like if I met you in the past year once, there's a good chance I won't remember, even if we've had an in-depth conversation, which is terrifying. But I think because no, I, I lived so much of my life in anxiety, Anxiety sure. that I think so much was going on chemically yeah. in my brain yeah. that the memory thing got blocked out. Yeah, I love talking about anxiety. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I love it. I love it because I think we've talked about this recently of the whole thing of for so many years, I identified with every feeling, every thought that came in my mind, every, and I was like, I'm going officially insane. Like, I'm literally, because. I was just tossed around like a wave. Just and when I'm trying to realize, like, oh, I can bring aware, I can bring awareness to a thought. I can bring, I can say, oh yeah, there's that feeling, there's that thought, and not identify with it. That was like the mindfulness. It was yeah, it was revolutionary for me. And again, I suck at it. But anyway, so Mm. 
on a okay, daily. Wait, so wait, really fast. You take notes with your therapist, and then we're going to get back to the parenting stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you take notes with your. Okay, but then I understand because you want to be able to go back and remember it. But does it take you out of the experience when you're taking notes? Yeah. Because sometimes I find myself sort of hiding with my note taking. Yeah. I'm yeah, not yeah. actually experiencing because I'm analyzing. Yeah. That honestly might be a part of it. Um, but I do know that since I do have such a memory issue, um, and he's given me so many tools of how to cope's not the right word, but just kind of live with, you know, just practice kind of mindfulness rather than living in a world of anxiety, the tools that I did not want to forget. So I, and I, and I, so I have these just since like for four years, I just have kind of typed out notes and it's been a really fun thing to give people. Do you have a towel of Tony Hale and can we publish <laughs> I will that? say, I've told this guy, I said, you know, I, he has given me so many fantastic, not to say tools again, tools. Like for instance, I've, we might've should like whenever I find myself in the, what if you say out loud, not now, or, um, uh, just things like labeling things or stuff like that. Like I just, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have remembered that if I didn't write it down. Um, and probably it does help that it, if I was in person with him, I probably would not be writing so many notes, but there's something about being on the phone. That's kind of a, makes it easier. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So discipline of contentment. Discipline daily. Um, gosh, uh, what I need to do more of, which I don't do enough. What I need to do more of is I need, even if it's just five minutes, just sit in stillness. Because it's so hard. It's really hard for me. It's really my mind hard. is like your puppies, like yeah, <laughs> playing in the background. And it's not. It's, it's not. I love the the dog that just keeps getting out of. Anyways, I I um just to kind of sit because my phone is a fantastic distraction for me. Um, my mind is a great distraction of just kind of thinking about stuff to do in the day. There's just something about sitting. And also, let me tell you one thing. Anybody who says clear your mind, it's not going to happen. You can't clear your mind. It's nothing you can do, essentially. But what you, for me to say, I can sit and whatever thought or emotion comes up, I can just say, oh, yeah, there's that, there's that, there's that. There's something about putting that label on it that gives you, he, my, my therapist describes it as a mental massage where you just kind of, you become a little more, not in a driver's seat, in a control way, but just kind of, not bump, not as a victim to your thoughts. Right. You I, can, you can put a little more of a label on them. I was so lucky before I got pregnant, I did a seven day silent meditation retreat oh my in gosh. Northern California um, at a place called Spirit Rock. And I'm so glad I did it before I was a parent because now, I mean, there's no way I could leave my child for seven days because you, you're not allowed to use your phone. You're not allowed to read books. You're not allowed to write. Huh. And you wow. meditate all day. Wow. And then they do these Dharma talks at night. My mom was afraid I was like running off to join a cult. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, but to... My mother-in-law thinks organic food is a cult. So I mean, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> that's a different generation. Exactly. If there's preservatives in it, it's like, oh, well, that's normal. Um, Mad men's normal to them. It's, yeah. <laughs> so I... Um, that experience was so life-changing for me because I was able to recognize what the greatest hits were in my mind. Because you you start to notice that 
the same things play again and again and again or certain themes. And like I was, like in your book, Archibald's Next Big Thing, constantly dreaming up future schemes. Like at totally. one point I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to write a novel about a silent meditation retreat. Yeah, and it's going to be what's course. going on with each. And I'm like, oh, wait, not doing it right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not here. Which, by the way, sounds terrifying to live for seven days with – because that's a list I hadn't thought about. Yeah, I've heard of phone. I've heard of like that would be, but books. Not being able to talk to your partner. Not to talk to anybody. So you couldn't talk to anybody, obviously. So you were. Oh, yeah. I had a roommate. I couldn't talk to her. And then the worst part was, or the best part was, uh, no eye contact, huh. which was crazy. That is crazy. So how, I'm, can you just break down your day? Like what would you do? Yes. What, what would the day look like? Woke, you woke up at six o'clock in the morning, I think, to a gong. <laughs> sure, love it. And then um, you, we walked to this beautiful big wooden building. Um, this beautiful building where we would do a sitting meditation. I think for forty-five minutes. That someone would lead, or yeah, there okay. would be someone, but they wouldn't say anything. They wouldn't say anything. They wouldn't say anything. Got it. Then we would walk down to breakfast and we would all silently have our breakfast. Which I can kind of be into because food is at least a focal point. Oh, yeah. Big focal point. Like all I cared about was the quinoa. You get really excited about little things. Yeah. But I would crack this hard-boiled egg and it was so loud and like obnoxious. (laughs) In the last day, this guy with like a scraggly beard took his egg and showed me how to crack that because he was so annoyed all week of me like banging this egg. Come <laughs> so on, dude. He showed me how to do it. That's a guy I was, you don't want to be a neighbor with. Yeah. Well, but and then we had like little like work things that we had to do, which at first I was annoyed about because I was like, I didn't come here to work. Like um, what? Like what? Like would I be did work? dishes, and it was oh, I see. It was yeah. thrilling. Yeah, when you're doing nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thrilling. It gives you some kind of action point. Yeah, and then we did walking meditations which were hard for me and it brought up a lot of stuff because I had just had that tumor surgery and had relearned how to walk. So whenever I'm, so that was odd and hard for me because you're walking slow. And I was like, I want to go for a hike. I want to burn calories. I want to do, do, do. Yeah. I sort of like have to slow down. So what, when you were in these spaces for 45 minutes sitting in that meditation and you could feel your body going, I got to get out. You yeah, know, it's what like- mine would do is my back. I'd get a piercing pain and behind my upper right shoulder. Mm-hmm. And that was an issue throughout. And I'm in really good shape and there's no reason for it. Yeah. Other than I did speak to some friends that are more hippy dippy and they're like, oh, that's your heart chakra. There's huh. something there. Interesting. Like, yeah. Okay. And so did you just kind of have to say, oh, yeah, now I'm feeling this, but I have to keep this sitting? Yeah. Or I would change. I tried laying down. The first couple of days, I just fall asleep. Oh, that's, at least it's an action point. Like yeah. I'd be like, "All right, I'm taking a nap." Yeah, no, because you're, you're, my brain is so used to being on yeah. that being present would put me to sleep because I wasn't used to yeah. being present and being at least awake. Sleeping, you can check out somehow. Yeah. yeah. So then it. Um, the best part was not having to talk to people about who I was or what I did Uh or what I wasn't doing or like, well, what projects are you working on? Or what have I seen you in? Or or these things that create so much anxiety for me. So to, to go back to Archibald's next big thing, that meditation retreat for me was such a great experience of being present and not having to sort of define myself 
by the cool things I was trying to do. And I think in this business too, um, you get very used to people with the question, what's next for you? It's not to sound like I'm not complaining at all, but it is an interesting thing. You're not going to go up to a dentist and be like, oh, what, what are you, what's next for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working on this molar. And mm-hmm. it, it's just not a question you ask. Yeah. But and there is in our, in a freelance world, people, they, it's, it's, that's a, you hear that question all the time. Yeah. Um, well, the funny thing for me with this book was like, okay, as an actor, I totally get the message, uh, growing up, looking back on my own childhood, I get this message and I Mm. wish you had written this damn book 20 years ago. I was surprised as a parent, how much it resonated for me because you mentioned being that you needed to be present to keep your daughter alive. But for me, I didn't expect how future obsessed I would be. I didn't realize that when I got pregnant, the first question would be like, okay, well, is this going to turn out to be a boy or a girl? Mm. What are we going to name her? Sure. What, what kind of parenting methods are we going to do? And this is like when I was in the first trimester, like what kind of birth are we going to have? What are we Mm going to do for that first birthday party in three months? What preschool is she going to go to? What college is she? Like all of these things that have nothing to do with being present and being present is so hard, especially that first year. It's so hard when you've spent or the first now my daughter's two. And it's like after seven hours at the playground throughout a week, it's really hard to it's hard to be present. So here, because it drives you crazy. I remember when Loy was r- much so younger, boring. and I'm like, I got five hours with my daughter. I do not know what to do with these five hours. I cannot sit on a floor and play this game again. I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's I, I w- but which was kind of like I, I was an activity dad. Like I was like, all right, we're going to go. We're going to go walk. <laughs> we're going to go walk. My daughter and I became big mall walkers. Like, I we were like, that. I'm going to walk. We're going to rock, just walk around the mall. And she was two and she loved it. And she'd go up and down the ramps and we'd walk around <laughs> the stores. So we just, or we'd, then we'd go to the playground. Or we'd just, but it was, I couldn't sit. And I, it's not, I mean, that's my personality, but it does. You're kind of left with this time and you're like, I don't know. Yeah. I think people that like spin out are big thinkers. It's hard. Yeah. 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 Because it's easier when I'm out in public or doing things, then I'm not thinking as much. But if you keep me at home for nine hours straight, I, it's it's tricky. And it's kind of thing. Like I really think per, there are certain personalities that love that stuff, love it. And I can, and that's I have to think that's something genetic or, or something. Because but personalities like us, it's that mix of some of it's just yeah, we're that personality that is we like to be active, but then a, a large of it is anxiety based. You know, but even with, um, oh shoot, what were you saying before about it always, for me, it always goes back to, I'm trying to control like, Oh, I know when you were kind of going to the future and the preschool and all this kind of stuff, that's, it's a mentor. It's for me, it's, it's a mental control thing. I've got, it's too uncertain. It's too much chaos that I don't know about. How can my mind control this right now? How can I feel comfort by somehow controlling it when in actuality, the word that is the strongest for me and that I need the most, but that's most terrifying is I'm really powerless to that. I'm completely powerless to where this is going, which I mean, that sounds like death to me, but it's like, no, I'm, I am powerless to what happens to my daughter. I'm powerless to, I can do my best and be present and be as loving, but I'm powerless to the choices she's going to make. I'm powerless to where my career is going to go. I'm proud. And I'm like, and every part of my body is like, ah! but that's the word. That's the most true. 
when, <laughs> when, oh my God, when my daughter <clears throat> was accepted into this preschool and she's going two mornings a week and she just turned two, that I got the packet in the mail of like all the stuff to get ready for school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to be excited about this. I'm sure. not going to let my anxiety get the best of me. So I cuddled into like under my covers and I, I was reading through the material mm-hmm. and a little Ziploc bag slipped out. And I was like, oh, I wonder what this is for. <laughs> and then a little index card for the bag. And it was a, please write a note to oh, your child yeah. We've had to do in case something awful happens. They don't say that. but they, And then there was like suggestions about what kind of snacks and toys to put yeah. in the bag. Yeah. And they suggested fruit roll-ups, which I was like, maybe we should go to a different school. <laughs> like if there's like a horrible, if something bad happens, my daughter's not going to climb through the rubble because she <laughs> ate her fruit roll-up, like at least a power bar. <laughs> but I, it just took me right back to like, oh, oh my God. Of course. I remember we've had to write that letter so many times and include a picture of us. Do you have yes. to, it says a picture of our family that she can look at. And of course my mind sees my sweet little daughter in the room with rubble around her or, and I'm like, I'm not there. And it's just, I'm like, everything becomes real when you're doing it. Isn't it crazy? And so it's like, you drop it off the first day of school. So as though like first day of school isn't enough. It's like, also here's her little emergency Ziploc yeah. bag. Here's my immediate powerlessness jumping into the <laughs> deep end. I'm completely powerless. So having a nine-year-old now, yeah. like what's that like being a daddy to a nine-year-old? It, as you know, it is kids are, it's the best thing, the hardest, hardest thing I've ever done because she triggers so many things in me. And once she's in a stage right now where she's, she's a little dramatic, like everything she does, <laughs> she just flings herself. Like the other day we were going somewhere and I said, and she had like gym shorts on and it was an invitation to this brunch. And I said, well, boy, we probably should as a respect to them, like, let's wear something a little nicer, like something. And she flung herself on the bed and she's like, I don't want to do this. And I just got sarcastic with it. I was like, I'm sorry, did a bomb just hit LA? Have we been attacked and I don't know about it? What's going on? Why do you have this reaction? And and because I get so angry at the drama. But the fact is I was a drum. I was probably a pretty dramatic kid. I even sometimes can speak in extremes to get my point across. So it triggers that part of me that I have to realize, you know, it's and for me, my daughter, yeah. well, especially a two, like the flipping out and all yeah. of that for me, it triggered the fact that I, I mean, I don't remember being two and I'm sure I was probably dramatic. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it triggers like all the repression mm. I feel like that I've had in my life or all sure. the feelings I kept in yeah, yeah, and yeah. she just sort of lets it all out, <laughs> which is mind blowing. And I'm also sort of like, I'm so <laughs> proud of her because I'm like, yeah, you go girl. And then I'm yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah. God, how do I, how do I, <laughs> how do I this? tame this? Yeah. How do I tame this? I know. And she, Loy, and she, there's those moments where okay, there's, you know, obviously we know there's two cries. There's a dramatic, there's a attention kind of dramatic cry but the, if when she really cries, it makes me want to cry, you know? So like, I know the difference if, if, when she really is crying. I'm like, I don't know if I can comfort her cause I'm going to start crying. But when it's that drama cry, it's hard not to get angry. Cause I'm, and I, cause many, sometimes I've gone, I know what you're doing. You know, I, I got your number on this, you know, I don't, but like you want to just ream them, but she's going, she's figuring it out. She's nine and I'm treating her like a 40 something year old. <laughs> That's you know? a great point. And it's really, it's really hard to 
remember that really and, hard. And you let her help you out in designing yes. the sister character in the book. Yeah, the right? sister of uh, the sister of Archibald is Loy, who's my daughter is named after. And, or the uh, character is named after your daughter. Oh, sorry, the character. The character. <laughs> <laughs> I named my daughter after this, <laughs> after this future cartoon character. Um. So, yeah. So <clears throat> she was named after my daughter. This character and. We talked about it a lot, and she was most excited. She was kind of able to help design. I said, what colors do you want her to wear, and what do you want her outfit to look like? And she helped draw out her outfit. And it was pretty cool to kind of her to see that materialize and stuff. But it's funny, like, things in life will happen to her. And it's she doesn't – she's always like, huh, that's that's cool. And then she's on to the next thing. You know, she's like – which is I love that I just said next thing, which is not bad. I mean, she but she doesn't read the book. She boy. doesn't she doesn't give it as read the book because I think as an adult I'm like oh my gosh it's a book I've got this is my first book this is pretty crazy to to her it's like all right what's for lunch you know it's it, and I love that it doesn't hold yes. the weight that I think we can sometimes hold it like Wah! and then you give it but to them it's, it's oh that's great let's da 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 you know it's that's great it's and great. I love you for pushing me on the swing yeah exactly Isn't that the best it's part the, about it's kids the same they don't same thing. care about these don't things care. that we're chasing yeah they don't care they're just as happy at the park they yeah. don't care if you've got Although Sabrina would really love a pool, but yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. But they don't care. And the right, I one the one the thing that I love, especially with us both sharing anxiety, is when my daughter is playing with her friends or when she's somewhere, she is a hundred and fifty percent there. She is a hundred and fifty percent there. And when I'm doing stuff, I'm not a hundred and fifty percent there. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 typically somewhere else in my head. And I watching that in kids is like they just don't they are there. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was fun. Thank you for having really me. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad my my dogs finally calmed down. No, we love it. Well, <laughs> listeners, we'll be back next week. Trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. Mm-hmm.